Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Wow. So the, the Republicans yesterday passed their tax bill. Uh, Donald Trump is not going to be able to sign it, apparently, until after the first of the year, because the tax bill will provoke an immediate 4% cut in Medicare and a huge cut in Medicaid. In fact, the Republicans in their legislation three weeks ago authorized a billion dollar cut, excuse me, a, yeah, a, uh, I'm sorry, a trillion dollar cut. No, it's, it's, let me find the exact numbers here. We'll, we'll get to these, but the, the there's going to be a huge cut in Medicare and Medicaid, 4% to Medicare. I know that amount, 4% per year to Medicare, unless they pass a spending bill that specifically says, no, don't do the cut this year. But that's going to have to reverse sequestration. It's going to, it's just a whole big mess. But in the meantime, you know, the, the news that's all over uh, Trump TV, uh, they're, they're calling it nowadays, I call it Fox so-called news, uh, and the right-wing hate machine, the, the right-wing hate radio, uh, you know, well-funded, well-greased machine out there, is that uh, AT&T is giving, you know, 200,000 workers a $1,000 bonus, and Comcast is giving 100,000 workers a $1,000 bonus. And isn't that amazing? Isn't that like the fulfillment of the president's promise? If we give trillions of dollars, specifically $5 trillion to rich people in these big corporations, they'll give a few hundred million dollars to you peons. And uh, it's happening. Now, it could be that the reason why AT&T is praising Trump and passing out a $1,000 bonus check to, its, uh, to a couple hundred thousand employees could be uh, that they've got this merger with Time Warner in front of the Trump administration and Donald Trump is trying to blow it up because he's unhappy with CNN. But maybe if AT&T can make him look good enough, he'll go for it, right? <sighs> Amazing. Wells Fargo says they're going to raise their minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. Wells Fargo was one of the banks that it was announced yesterday are going to, that Goldman Sachs announced yesterday. The seven big banks are going to see an average 14% increase in profitability. These are banks that are generating profit on the order of, you know, five to $10 billion per year. So yeah, we'll give a few million bucks to our employees. Thank you for the billions and billions of dollars. But the really insane thing is where all this money is coming from. All this money is coming, you know, we had a, we had a, uh, a Republican uh, shill yesterday call into the program. You know, whenever there's a consequential piece of legislation, I, you know, I'm, I'm convinced these people are not even regular listeners or viewers to the program. They just, you know, get the memo from someplace and, oh yeah, call in, get this, get this meme out there. It's really important. Positive train control doesn't work. I'm gonna make $2,000 in the tax bill. It was amazing. I mean, yesterday was just filled with them. And I was thinking last night, you know, the guy who said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm retired and I'm going to earn, I'm going to have a $2,000 tax saving. Well, first of all, you know, he was obviously lying. He's, if you're making $130,000 a year, you're not retired. Number two, where is that $2,000 that he's going to get at his tax break coming from? Where is it coming from? In Arizona, 118,000 children are going to lose their health insurance from the CHIP program. 85,000, excuse me, 
3,200 in Arizona. It's 118,000 in California. 3,000 kids are going to lose their CHIP program subsidies in Arizona. 85,000 under the Medicaid expansion. California, 1.9 million could lose their coverage under the Medicaid expansion. This is part of Obamacare, which Trump last night bragged that he finally gutted. Remember it was repeal and replace? There's no replacement. It's just, let's gut Obamacare. All of our health insurance rates are going to go up at least 10%, according to the actuaries. And over 10 million people are going to lose their health insurance because of this legislation that was passed yesterday. People are going to die. And I got people calling my program going, hey, I got my $2,000. Screw the people who are going to die. To hell with the kids. Colorado, 76,000 kids in the CHIP program. Connecticut, 25,000 kids on the CHIP program. Delaware, 17,000 kids on the CHIP program. Florida, 201,000 kids on the CHIP program. The, you know, Congress has not reauthorized this. Got to have the money for tax cuts for billionaires. That's the first priority, you know. New York, 424,000 people on the CHIP program, on the Children's Health Insurance Program. These are all states that are going to lose their money between January and February of next year. Arizona, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Montana, Nevada, New York, Oregon, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Utah, Virginia, Washington, and then with shortfalls after 2018, you add Alabama, Alaska, Iowa, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, and Vermont. The total is going to be 7,218,000 people are going to lose their health insurance. Of them, 2.8 million are children under the Children's Health Insurance Program, and 4.3 million are people who are on Medicaid, which could include your grandma in the nursing home, or your disabled nephew, or, you know, whatever. I mean, this is, this is, and by the way, these numbers are not from some weird left wing. This is from the, from the Georgia, Georgetown University Health Policy Institute, the Center for Children and Families. And they just produced this PDF, this, this uh, report that shows what's going on. Meanwhile, the companies, yeah, they're going to pass out a few million bucks to their employees, nice PR, and they'll get lots of goodies and benefits from the Trump administration in exchange for that. But what are they going to do with the, all the extra money that they're going to get? These are companies that have already announced their plans for next year in anticipation of this tax bill. This is just over the last couple months. On the 6th of December, for example, Home Depot announced that they are going to buy back 15 billion dollars worth of their own shares. 15 billion dollars. Now, it used to be illegal for companies to buy their own shares. This, this law ended under Reagan. It used to be illegal. So, comp so companies could not play games with their share prices. I've explained this before, and if you've, if you've heard before, my apologies if I'm redundant, but I, you know, there's constantly new people listening. Here's how it works. Let's say you've got a company, and we'll use just really, really simple numbers. Let's say that I own a company that has 100 shares, and my company is worth $100,000. So each share is worth $1,000. And let's say that out of those 100 shares, you know, I own half of them. So my company is worth $100,000. My stock is worth $50,000 because there's 100 shares and I own 50 of those shares. Now, what happens if my company buys back the other 50 shares that are out there in the public being held by Sean and Nate and whoever, you know, or whatever, you know, people owning shares in the company? What happens when the company buys them back? Those shares go away. So now my $100,000 company, which used to be represented with 100 shares worth $1,000 each, is now represented by 50 shares which are worth $2,000 each. So all the stock that I own just doubled in value because my company bought back the shares. So share buybacks don't do anything for the economy. They don't do anything for working people. They don't do anything for the, for the company. They only benefit the stockholders and the CEOs and senior executives who are compensated with stock options. Home Depot says they're going to buy back $15 billion worth of shares. Oracle, $12 billion. Honeywell, $6.5 billion. Pfizer, $10 billion. 
Bank of America, $5 billion. Anthem, $5 billion. Boeing, $4 billion. MasterCard, $4 billion. United Airlines, $3 billion. On it goes. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is the biggest theft from the American people, of, certainly of my lifetime. This is absolutely mind-boggling. Oh, my. The, uh, the tax bill rolls on. The tax scam rolls on. We are, we are watching our country be deconstructed. This is, you know, Steve Bannon said his goal was the deconstruction of the administrative state. That is what you are watching. Ultimately, the goal of the Republicans here is to end Medicare, end Medicaid, and end Social Security, move all these things, privatize all three of these programs. The reason that banksters like Pete Peterson have been screaming for years about the national deficit is they also want to end the, the, the Treasury Department's practice of issuing bonds. They want only banks to be able to do that so that they can make the money on your savings or on, you know, on anybody's savings, you know, pension funds, universities, whatever it may be. So the, the, uh, the, the, the list of horribles, the list of terribles here is rather substantial. Today is the winter solstice. It's the shortest day of the year. And uh, I, I remember when we lived in Germany, I, I learned this. We, uh, the, the Christmas of 1986, we went up in the, in the forest near Stadtsteinach and Herr Mueller and some friends of his had gone out and they'd found this giant tree and they'd fastened all these little candles in it, real candles, in this, uh, you know, with little glass globes and things. They were relatively fireproof. And, uh, you know, it just lit this tree up. And, and one of the kids from the Salem Children's Village was out playing the trumpet. And uh, there were some animals. There were horses and goats and dogs. And uh, we, we walked out to this tree in the, in the early, in early evening dark. And this little kid played the trumpet, Silent Night. And Herr Mueller read a Bible verse. It was so beautiful. And, uh, but the story that I learned was that the shortest day of the year is more or less right around Christmas. And so back, you know, a couple thousand years ago in that part of the world, which is where many of these traditions originated, um, because it was the shortest day of the world of the year, particularly the farther north you go, the shorter the days are, right? So you get up to like northern Europe and it was really short days, just like in Alaska right now. I mean, you know, you, just a few hours of daylight during the day, darkness for hours and hours. And so the people were pretty worried about this. You know, what's going to happen? Is the sun going out? And so, but the priests, they had built these like Stonehenge-like structures, sometimes very big ones, sometimes fairly small ones. I mean, there's, there's over 200 of them that we know of just in the northeastern United States that are Neolithic, that are, you know, predate Columbus or even Leif Erikson. So, you know, so the priests knew when the solstice was coming, the, the winter and the summer solstice. And so they knew this today was the shortest day of the year. So they'd, they'd find this tree, the, the, the tallest tree on the top of the biggest mountain. And they would go up and they would just light that tree on fire. And as the tree is burning, the priest would say, sun, ignite. And, you know, call for the sun to, to catch back on fire and return its heat to the earth. And the next day, the day would be a little bit longer. And the day after that, the day would be a little bit longer. And the day after that, the day would be a little bit longer. And you know, within a week or two, it's fairly obvious the days were getting longer, and the people would look at the priest and go, he did it again. So here we are. <laughs> Happy winter solstice. So there's that. There's all that stuff. There's a lot going on, too. John, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, you wanted to comment on the tax bill. John, what's on your mind today? Uh, y yes. Uh, we shouldn't allow the Republicans to be over-elated because they passed the tax bill. If that bill was so great, they would uh, Trump would sign it today, before, but because he, if he signs it today or, or before the end of the year, it would trigger a, a, a cut. Therefore, the cut uh, 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 would juxtapose to the giveaway of the corporations. And I don't think the Democrats should allow them to get away with that. Yeah. They, should, they should not allow him. Democrats don't have any control over it, John. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. They, they should not allow him to go or, or his surrogates to go on TV to declare it a victory. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Democrats are doing their very best to point out the, the BS in this bill, but... Uh, I know, but that would prove it. Yeah, prove it to whom? I mean, that's the problem is... No, no, know, no, no, no. Prove it to the, um, um, uh, to the American public that if, the, if, that if, he, if, if he signs it today, every person would feel it today. Right. 
Well, there would be an automatic 4% cut to Medicare. If he's waiting until the next year to sign it, therefore, you don't feel the full effect until 19. Right. Yeah. Because if he signed it today, there would be an immediate 4% cut in Medicare and right. among among other programs. So that's the most right. conspicuous. And, you know, again, the, the, this idiot who called me yesterday and said, I'm really happy. I'm going to make $2,000 extra next year. And I'm like, yeah, and you're retired. Your Medicare is going to cost more or is it going to go away? Really? Yeah, right. John. But if, but, but if that person will call back today, ask him how he would feel if he if if, if Trump signs it today and he and, and because he got his two thousand dollars, he then he would feel the cut on the other side yep. and he wouldn't really feel that two thousand dollars. Yep. Yeah. This is a five trillion dollar transfer of wealth to the top one percent. Three and a half trillion of it is coming out of your pocket and mine, John, and the one and one and a half trillion dollars of it is being put on the national credit card. It is obscene. And and the fact that the news media right, but but the Democrats need to express that the reason why he didn't do it today is because that would prove that 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 tax cut is really hurting. Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. Absolutely, John. And and again, our media is just like so eager to give these guys a pass because they don't want to offend the Republicans because they need them to show up on their Sunday shows. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. This is what happens when the only goal of media is to produce a profit, when they've forgotten about the goal of actually reporting the news. We'll be back. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. That's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use THOM as the promo code for your $100 discount. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Richard Wolf is on the line with us. Uh, Dr. Richard Wolf, the economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, the author most recently of Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, Essays on the Global Economic Meltdown. Uh, his website, democracyatwork.info or rdwolf with two fs.com. You can tweet him at profwolf, as in Professor Wolf, P-R-O-F-W-L-L-F-F, or at democracy at W-R-K. Professor Wolf, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. Glad it, to be here. It is great having you on. I wanted to get, you know, you're a real economist, and I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what, the, what the meaning of this uh, Republican tax scam is, what impact it will have, uh, both over the short term and the long term, uh, economically. And you're also an astute political observer. I'm curious your thoughts on the politics of it. Okay, well... <clears throat> even though I have my Ph.D. in economics and all the rest of it, um, this uh, bill has nothing to do with economics. In many cases, it flaunts the very economics that we mostly teach in American universities. By that I mean we've just come off of 35 years of growing inequality in the United States, income and wealth, and a clear growing majority of Americans who don't want that, who don't like it, who not only don't want it to continue, they want to reverse it to get to a much less unequal society. Given that, the remarkable thing about this new bill, this so-called tax reform, and the word reform has to have three or four quotation marks around it, the fact of the matter is it will significantly worsen the inequality that already besets the United States. It is an act of redistributing wealth from the bottom and the middle to those at the top. There's no nice way to say it. There's no fancy language to disguise it. Most Americans, to their credit, understand that, as every poll shows how unpopular it is. But we live, and here comes the economics, we live in a time and in an economy 
where the wealth distribution is so skewed to the top already that we have created among those at the top, the 1%, the 3%, however you calculate it, a clear understanding that they have a disproportionate share of the wealth in a country that is at least legally committed to universal suffrage, which means that we, the people, have the bulk of the votes, and they, the tiny minority, have the bulk of the wealth. It is then only a matter of time before we understand that we can use the ballot and change this situation and undo the inequality created by this economic system. To protect themselves, they've bought the political system. And that explains why, at the end of 35 years of growing inequality, we pass a tax bill that makes that inequality worse. So what... What, in addition to exacerbating inequality, and there there are all these social ills uh, that that uh, have been you know so well documented by uh, Pickett and uh, Kate Pickett and uh, uh, Richard, uh, yeah, yeah, and you know in in uh, the spirit level and and in uh, why inequality matters, um, that I mean that 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 in and of itself is terrible. That rising or just the 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 presence of inequality leads to everything from you know, higher teenage pregnancy rates to more STDs, to more mental illness, to more crime, to, you know, to more depression, to more suicide, to more divorces, to more unwanted children, you know, blah, 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 right? Is that, we, we, we know the ills of inequality. Is, are, there, are there economic crises that we may face beyond simple inequality that will come out of this tax bill? I mean, it, it, I, I look back at 1921 when Harding ran on the camp, you know, his campaign platform, was uh, you know more 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 business in government, less government in business. In other words, privatize and deregulate. And he, he campaigned on dropping that uh, 91% tax rate that funded World War One down to 25%, which he did. And that kicked off the Roaring Twenties and led us right to the Great Crash in 1929. Reagan cut taxes in in the early 80s, and that led to the Great Crash in 1987, the second worst stock market crash since 1929. George W. Bush cuts taxes in the early 2000s, and what do we get in 2007, 2008, 2009? Another Great Crash. It seems to me like this is this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of Republican politics that Harding, Coolidge, and Hoover did, that 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 both Bushes, that Reagan and both Bushes did, that inevitably leads to bubbles and crashes. Or am I missing something? No, no, and that's what I meant earlier. You're missing nothing. That's that's conventional economics. It goes something like this. Every dollar that you put into the hands of people who are working class or middle class or poor, they will spend and that's because they have to to sustain their lifestyles they need to spend pretty much what they earn and they're lucky if they don't go into debt and spend more than they earn contrarily if you put a dollar in the hands of very rich rich people they already are saving that is not spending a large portion of what they earn because they earn so much so if you are making greater inequality in effect you are making uh, your poor and middle less able to buy, and your rich people more able to buy, which rich people can't and won't do because they're already spending more than, more than they can possibly consume as it stands, and that therefore you are undercutting the demand in your society for goods and services, and that's a much deeper threat to jobs and the future than anything else you could do. So and you're saying this, this, do it. this tax cut could be economically suppressive rather than stimulative? Absolutely. The, 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 the nonsense spewing out from Trump and the others about how they know the future and set aside the absurdity of these folks predicting the future Let's remember that even Trump and his people didn't think he was going to win the, the election. I mean, their knowledge of the future is nothing to count on. But they're telling us, just wait. In some future time, this tax cut is going to have all these wonderful benefits. It reminds me of medieval uh, landlords telling peasants who are dying of starvation that they shouldn't really be worried because a wonderful time in heaven is awaiting them just right after they die. I mean, this, this is unspeakable economic nonsense uh, that is being spewed by people who want you to believe that what they've done to improve their wealth even more now is going to, in some future time, trickle down in the form of benefits for you. 
this hustle has been perpetrated on the American people so many times, I would have thought you can't possibly run that, that hustle again. Yeah, but well, they did, and they've got yeah. uh, you know willing helpers in in Fox News and and right wing hate radio. Uh, we have a little less than a minute left before we hit a hard break here, Professor Wolf. Uh, thoughts on on how Americans should be responding to this? Well, here I'm terribly disappointed politically. The Democratic Party politely votes against this and then quietly sits down. I mean, this is a, an outrage built upon another outrage perpetrated by an outrageous president and government. There ought to be student demonstrations in the schools and labor movement strikes and other things. There ought to be a real political opposition in the terms that we need to show what the people clearly feel about this. Mm. It needs to be some leadership. And I am deeply disappointed that the Democratic Party has shown no ability or willingness to partner with the union movement, the student movement, women who showed what they could do right after the uh, election of Trump, uh, poor people and others to begin to say this has gone way beyond what ought to be allowed. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, then yeah, this represents an opportunity. I know the Progressive Caucus is all over this thing. There are a number of you know Democrats who are raising that point. But uh, I think you're right as a party. I, ha I haven't seen a position statement. Uh, hopefully it'll come. Richard and, and some good political theater like the Tea Party did. Professor Richard Wolf, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom, and look forward to our next time. This Thank you. Back in. the Tom Hartman Program. And the happiest of holidays, Professor Wolf. We will be back right after this. Welcome back. 20 minutes past the hour. Tom Hartman here with you. Pat in Wanetta, Nebraska, if I'm saying that right. Pat, what's on your mind today? Hey, God bless you. It's Juanita. Juanita. Um, Okay. I agree with you and with Dr. Richard Wolf. The Democratic Party needs a shot in the arm. I bet most Americans, uh, even most Democrats, don't know what the slogan of the Democratic Party is, and I couldn't remember it, so I Googled it. A better deal. Well, it's lame and it's dead. What does it mean? No wonder Republicans are just steamrolling over us. Uh, I'm actually an independent uh, I'm a progressive socialist, but I'm going to join the Democratic Party because I think that's our only hope. And my first contribution is a catchy, meaningful slogan. <laughs> and here it comes. Prosperity for all Americans, Brilliant. not just the rich. Brilliant. Okay, so, so that gives us something under which to lump all of this criticism of the Republicans and all the filth that they're doing. It gives us a goal. Yeah. You might even want to expand it slightly. Prosperity and fairness for all Americans or something like that. Well, I was trying to keep it short yeah. because, you know. Short, short is good. No, God, no, you're right, of course. But I thought we could lump everything up. If we, are, if we prosper, then we can, we're not going to prosper with no net neutrality. We're losing money. Yeah. We're not going to prosper with spending more for, for health insurance, which shouldn't even be in the mix. I'm with you. Right. But, hey, thanks for all your hard work, Tom. You rock. Okay. Thank you, Pat. And thanks, for the, thanks for the kind call. And spot on, everything you said. I'm, I'm with you. Barbara in Fredonia, Wisconsin. Hey, Barbara, what's on your mind today? This is Marvin. Oh, it's Marvin. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, Marvin, uh, what's on your I'm mind? First-time caller. Okay, thank you. I got one question for you. Why, okay. The national debt clock, why can't they keep a national debt clock of Trumps flying all over the place in Air Force One to my Largo on all his golf courses? And the other, other thing I'd like to know is, has anybody noticed, I've noticed this a lot, when he gives a speech, he's all sniffing like he's on cocaine. Right. Did you ever notice that? I have. I've, I've been noticing it since the primary, and I don't know yeah. what's causing it, whether he's got some sort of a mechanical obstruction, you know, a deviated septum or something like that, or, or, what, <laughs> or whether it's a symptom of something uh, deeper. You know, I've heard people say that it could even be a symptom of early, early stage of heart failure or something. Who knows? I mean, we, I, don't, we I, don't have any idea because just like we don't see his tax returns, we don't yeah. see his medical records either. Hey, Tom, I got one more thing. Boy, do I miss Ed Schultz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ed's a good guy. Bar uh, Marvin, thank you for the call. Reza in Hot Springs National Park, Arkansas. Hey, is it Reza or Reza? Reza. Reza. Hey, Reza, what's on your mind today? I was just thinking uh, earlier when three senators voted to stop re uh, repeal of Affordable Health Act, or as presumptively Republican call it Obamacare. They were three uh, Republicans, if I'm not mistaken, Mikulski of uh, uh, Alaska, McCain of Arizona, and Susan Collins of Maine. 
And if I'm not mistaken, their only reason was because what that will do to their poor citizens. Right. Am I correct? I think so, yeah. No. Susan Collins is not a new uh, senator in the U.S. Senate or Congress, is she? No. In fact, there was... She's been uh, there three or four terms as a senator. That's right. She is not naive. Correct. To get what uh, I call promise from uh, the turtle that is head of the Senate right now. Yeah, Mitch McTurtle. Yeah, that uh, she's going to get that issue of poor and insurance taken care of. She wasn't fool. She knew it's a BS part of my language. Yeah, she was, she was looking for a fig leaf so that, you know, the citizens of Maine would not bump her out of the Senate in, in the next election. I hope so. I hope so, really, because these people lie like anything. Yeah. And they don't care about poor. They don't care about children who will not have health insurance or nothing. Yeah, no, Susan Collins enthusiastically voted for this thing, and she said that she was getting, you know, a couple little concessions, and, uh, you know, the, I, I know, I, I was assured by Mitch McConnell that we would, you know, no, sorry, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's a liar, he's always been a liar, he will continue to be a liar, uh, he's a Republican after all. Reza, thank you for the call, very well said. Carl in Vernon Hills, Illinois, Reza, hey, Carl, what's on your mind today? Uh, good morning, Tom, I'm glad to listen to you live for change, and happy holidays to you and your staff. Thank you. Two quick points. You keep mentioning that people write letters to the senators. I apologize, I got a cold. I'm not telling you too bad. Don't write letters. Because you mail it to the Senate office, as you know, you've mentioned many times, it takes two or three weeks to get to them. Unless you send it to their local office. Or Yeah, that's what I mean. But you keep saying send letters to your senators. Say send a postcard or send it to their local office. Yes, because if it's, a, if it's an envelope and it, and it goes to Washington, D.C., it has to go through a special mail sorting facility that basically uh, deep, deep packet inspects every letter for anthrax. I mean, this all goes back to the anthrax attacks, which we still haven't figured out, by the way, who did. Uh, but it sure did stimulate the passage of the Patriot Act just in time, right? Uh, oh, sure. that, that's a whole nother, you know. And I don't want to sound like Alex Jones here, but there, there was something really, really funky, funky with that. But yeah, I, I get it, Carl, and, and spot on. Mail postcards One if you're going to send it to Washington, D.C., and, and, and if you want to send a letter, send it at the local office. Um, yeah. One other quick point, if I may? If you may, yes. November is not the next election. March is. We have to make sure that we get progressive Democrats on the ballot for, for November. For primaries. We've got to push hard to get them on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure that you are registered to vote. In some states, you have to be registered to vote by November of this year to be able to vote next year. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's all over the map from state to state. So find out if you're registered to vote, find out if there are any impediments to your registering to vote, get out there, register to vote, and get ready to participate in our elections. Because, um, yeah, you're right, there are primaries coming up. I don't think that there's any more special elections between now and next November, although there, there probably will be a few uh, more obscure ones. But it is, it is absolutely so imperative that we go from roughly 50% voter participation to let's get to 80 or 90%. I mean, let's, let's really turn out the vote here, at least on our side of the ledger. Let's get people out to vote and make sure that they're registered to vote. Because, they, you know, I mean, the Republicans have thrown several million people who are legitimate voters off the voting rolls. We've got to overcome that. We'll be back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. More of your calls. We're going to check in with Talk Media News, too, as we uh, roll along here. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. I'm so pleased to have Mike Papantonio back with us, the attorney, America's attorney, uh, host of Ring of Fire Radio, author of the new legal thriller, Law and Vengeance. And this is the second uh, of these uh, you know, extraordinary novels that Mike Papantonio has written. TROfire.com is the website, as in The Ring of Fire, T-R-O Fire. You can tweet him at Ring of Fire Radio or at Levin Papantonio. Mike, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm great. And it's been way too long since we've talked. I'm, I'm glad to reconnect with you and, and look forward to having you on more often. Um, tell us about 
your new book and how the story in it relates to what's actually happening in the world right now. Yeah, well, there, it's a series of four books. This is the second in a series of four. And uh, the, what, what the book is about is actual cases that I've, that I've handled. Uh, this particular case is, it centers around um, the idea of, uh, the idea of uh, a, a whistleblower case. And in that whistleblower case, what was happening was the government was making a product that was literally killing people. And unfortunately, uh, the, the, the government, uh, they were buying a product that was killing people, and, and the manufacturer of the product didn't disclose why it was killing people, but it was, it was a gun sight that was so defective that it was off about, 10, uh, about anywhere between two and three, three degrees off for every hundred yards, which of course made the, made the gun almost useless. So that's the first part of the story. And then the, first, the second part of the story deals with the, uh, the uh, C-8 disaster that took place in the Ohio River Valley, uh, where you had DuPont pumping just millions of gallons of C-8 toxin into the drinking water of people causing cancer all up and down the Ohio River Valley. Both of those cases are cases, of course, that corporate media didn't talk about because, unfortunately, DuPont's a big advertiser for them. And- and as you know, the weapons manufacturers are big advertisers for corporate media. So what we do is we, I, I've just reduced a lot of these stories to um, to thrillers. Although they're true, they're they're dressed up a little bit in in the in, in the tone, and you create a thrill. The third book that I'm working on it has to do with the opioid crisis that we're helping head up nationally, and it's called Law and Addiction. And then the fourth book. Uh, is uh, is a book called Law and Terror, dealing with the international banks that are washing money for uh, for terrorists all over the world. So wow. they all they're all based on real cases that we handled. They're dressed up, made into fiction thrillers, but they're stories that you ordinarily would not hear because corporate media doesn't tell these kind of stories. Advertisers simply don't don't allow them to do that. You are on a roll, my friend. That's 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 amazing, and and your writing is so good. It's these it's remarkable books. Uh, I'm curious, as a as as America's attorney, as as America's lawyer, your thoughts on the uh, rush by McConnell and the Trump administration to place. Uh, in fact, I guess they have some very specific criteria. You must be under 50. Uh, between 30 and 40 is preferred. Uh, you must be a conservative crank. Uh, you must you must never have said anything bad about the president. You must you know whatever. I mean. It's, these judicial appointments that the Trump administration is doing. And in the last several years, the Obama administration, when McConnell was basically blocking them to the point that John Roberts wrote a letter uh, to, to Mitch McConnell saying, you know, you're creating a crisis. This was during the, during the Obama presidency. You're creating a, a crisis in the judicial bench. And then, of course, the, the whole year that they kept Merrick Garland away from the Supreme Court. What the hell's going on with our courts, Mike? Well, what, what, what's happened is you have the, the Federalist Society now is in charge of who gets, uh, who gets a chance to even sit in those chairs. And as you can see, the Federalist Society is sending us complete uh, uh, just knuckleheads. I mean, you, you saw the video, of course, with the judge who didn't know what a motion Lemony is had no idea what <laughs> had no idea with very very basic uh, issues like Dalberry had no question no idea what what was even being asked of him. You have judges who have never argued in front of a jury at all, have never and never argued in front of a judge at all, have never argued a motion at all. This is the equivalent Tom of going on the street and picking out some knucklehead and saying, "How would you like to be an appellate federal court?" And so what this really does, it does such damage to the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society at one point was able to say that, you know, we have some real purity about us, and that is we're, we're strict constructionists, and we simply want the Constitution followed. And now we find out really all they are is, is, is this, this buffoon organization who has a political agenda, and the way to end that political agenda is to get more buffoons put in the court. Uh, I got to tell you something. We'd like to think that uh, we'd like to think that that wasn't much different under the Obama administration. But you're talking to somebody who appears in front of federal judges quite often, and what we got with the Obama administration was a little different. They were simply white shoe, silk stocking defense corporate lawyers who had never done anything for consumers at all, and and you had uh, Obama populating the court with that. Now we're populated with utter, complete buffoons. And, and so at a trial level, you can understand how disastrous that is when you're arguing to a judge and they don't even understand what the rules of evidence are. That's uh, it, it's pretty impractical. Is the uh, you know, I've, I've read about the Federalist Society over the years. And my recollection is that it emerged in the uh, in the 60s or 70s 
if it was in the 70s, it might have been in response to the Powell memo of 1971. Mm. Um, and that it kind of came out of the same ecosystem that the John Birch Society did, uh, only the respectable dimension of it. And that it has, in the last decade or so, become uh, kind of one of the toys of the Koch network. Am I right. misinterpreting what I've been reading? or No, is... no, no. The Federalist Society was based on a lie. It's nothing but a myth. And the myth is that these are people who want to, to, to have strict construction in the way that we look at the Constitution, that there should be nothing done creatively in the courts as we evolve as a society. We should still go back to the document and only look at the four corners of the document, the Constitution. But that was even a lie. What the lie is, is, is what the truth is, that this is a society that are not, they're no different from the political hacks that surround the Koch brothers and have always surrounded the Koch brothers. They're nothing but political thugs who want, to, who, who want uh, a political system that inures a huge benefit to the haves and basically tramples on the rights of the have-nots. That's what the, the Federalist Society is. You can dress them up, you know, they, they, they have this aura of, you know, oh, this, this aura of importance, but they are not important. If you ask most lawyers how much do you, how much you really uh, gain from anything that the Federalist Society puts out, it's almost nothing, because as you read their stuff now, you understand they're nothing more than political hacks. And we're seeing it firsthand now with these appointments that they're recommending that Trump engage with. And so uh, it's, I think it, it's great because now we do see that they are a complete, utter fraud and they have nothing to do with anything yeah. high-minded at all. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Mike Papantonio, America's lawyer. Pap, in the minute we have uh, left before we hit a hard break here, um, what can Americans do about this, uh, this obscenity? Well, you know, unfortunately, right now, there's nothing they're going to be able to. Look, here's here's what the, the Republicans want to pack the court with six. They have the right at this ability at this point. They have the ability to put six hundred and fifty new federal court appointments in from trial level, appellate level, all the way up, all the way up the, the route. They ha they have the ability to do six hundred and fifty. And that's what they've done. Trump is doing what Obama failed to do. Uh, Obama had a window. He had about a, a two-year window where he could have done the same thing and given us real quality, real quality judges instead of the corporate hacks that he appointed. But so, so Trump's, Trump learned from that. And so now Trump is using this time that he has to pack the courts, and it's going to be irreversible. When you pack 650 relatively young, young uh, uh, judges in that position, you can't reverse it. We're talking about an entire generation that's going to be affected by a complete baboon kind of a judiciary. Amazing. Mike Papantonio, America's lawyer. His new book, Law and Vengeance, a legal thriller based on, uh, arguably, based on a true story or a series of true stories. Mike, uh, Pap, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Great talking to you. And check out Pap's book, Law and and Vengeance is his second. Check out his first book, too. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with your calls right after this. Hey, everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pita pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to TomsBeats.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeats for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeats is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to TomsBeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, TomsBeats.com on the interwebs. There's a great quote from John Adams, who was not the most egalitarian of presidents, but he wrote, government is instituted for the common good, for the protection, safety, prosperity, and happiness of the people, and not for the profit, honor, or private interest of any one man, family, or class of men. It's uh, John Adams, Dennis in Holt, Michigan. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? 
Well, I got a really good one for you. Um, do you uh, 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 remember the uh, area, uh, the history of the Italian Peninsula back? I think it was in the 1600s when Florence was popular and they were known for their banking and how they went about doing business. And really, if you think about that, they actually didn't sell anything. What they did is they shipped things and they took the products in and they used that to actually create wealth. Right. They did it the same way Hong Kong did by being a transshipment point with very low tariffs. Exactly. Well, here's what happened is that if you base your uh, total, uh, you know, your total revenues that uh, the co- your uh, country produces on banking, right, basically what they're doing is shifting money from the poor to the rich, and pretty soon you've got yourself a thousand, you know, let's just say 500 families. Well, when do you think that the 500 families would like to become 200 families? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't. And then no pretty way. soon, the 200 families decide, well, maybe we should whittle this down to 100. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're well, talking about the, the increasing concentration of wealth in, in a smaller and smaller number of hands. Right. And pretty soon, the Koch brothers are looking over their shoulder, right? Yeah. And what happens when that happens? Well, I can tell you what's going to happen is, this is what's going to happen is, at the end of all the counting and everything else, who do you think is going to have the power in this country to make the, you know, the final decisions? It's going to be the military. And what I think is this. I think what's going to happen is, is that the soldiers are going to be the ones to decide. And right now, who would you say they would work for, the Koch brothers or the American people? Wow. Given that so many of our, wow, Uh, it brings up a couple of, a whole bunch of thoughts all at once. Number one, a a military coup is something that I think the founders were pretty sure that they were trying to, you know, I mean, this is the, the whole point of the Second Amendment, or one of the major points of the Second Amendment was this debate, this, this argument that the Jefferson and Madison and the, the, the anti, the anti-federalist faction made in the uh, in the late 1700s and even the early 1800s, that we should not have a standing army during time of war because of the danger of a military coup, and that's why they wanted us to have like Switzerland does, uh, rather than a standing army. I mean, Switzerland has one, but it's small. But rather than a large standing army, they wanted us to have local militias that could be called up during time of crisis or invasion, and and yeah, you know the remnant right of that now, today is the National Guard. Hang on, just let me just say this right now. The cities are loaded with, loaded with stormtroopers, and, and you can say what you want, but those police officers are right-wing, right-wing uh, 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 types of people. By and large, and yes. And are they not a, a, a force for that purpose? And I don't care what city you're talking about. You can go from Los Angeles to New York, and the way that you get rid of them is you cut off their legs, which is their union. And that's what the people should do right now. And that's the first thing I would do if I was in New York. I'd cut their legs out from under them. I'd say, hey, listen, we got to get rid of unions. By the way, that's what they say. I mean, that's what the Koch brothers say. That's what the right wing says. And then Put them out, and yeah. they're making 150 grand for killing people. Yeah, they're never going to go they after. Don't the, care. Yeah, they're not going to go after the police unions, Dennis. Number one, and number two, I think police officers, just like everybody else, should have the right to union representation. But number three, I don't disagree that the union, that the police unions, have negotiated contracts with the cities and counties and states for whom those police work, that gives the uh, individual police officers when they've committed crimes. Uh, far more latitude than, than, you know, far more due process than the rest of us get when we've committed crimes. And, and I think that that needs to be fixed. Have you ever get picked up and prosecuted in New York? No, it's, it's, it's extremely rare. And for the reasons that you're outlining, and, I, and, and like I said, I don't disagree with that. That's something that should be addressed. But let's not do it in the context, Dennis, and, and thank you for the call. Let's not do it in the context of trashing unions. Let's, let's be very clear. But, but back to your original point of do we have to fear 
the possibility of a police state. Authoritarian minded people, the, uh, the people that John, uh, John Dean wrote about in his book, Conservatives Without Conscience, authoritarian, you know, there's, there's a small number of authoritarian leaders. There's a th large number of authoritarian followers. And, and most of the people who, who voluntarily and enthusiastically become police officers or members of the military are authoritarian followers. Not all of them, certainly not all of them, but, if, but probably well over half. And if you look at the history of other countries, when authoritarian regimes came to power, whether it was Mussolini in Italy, Hitler in Germany, Franco in Spain, uh, you know, look at all the countries in Central and South America, the history that we see over and over and over again is that when an authoritarian leader comes to power, the, uh, the, pow the, the structures of power and authority within the country, which is are principally the military and the police, and secondarily the court systems, which Donald Trump is right now, as Mike Papatoni just pointed out, 650 federal judges. He's fixing to completely reinvent the entire federal judiciary. Those institutions being inclined toward authoritarianism to begin with become more authoritarian. So the most enthusiastic people at rooting out the Jews in Germany, the most enthusiastic people at, at finding the, the communists in Spain, the most enthusiastic people at finding the trade unionists in Italy and utterly destroying them during the, during the 1930s were the police with great enthusiasm. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have police. I'm not saying that, you know, the police, you know, needs, the whole thing needs to be changed. But having, if you look at the police, number one, and the military, number two, if you look at the military during the Vietnam era, when we had a draft, or during World War II, when we had a draft, our military represented a broad cross-section of Americans. And so the percentage of authoritarian followers was probably about the same percentage as it is in the general population as a whole, which is around 20%. I would argue that, and, and, and in our police departments, you know, a lot of police departments, it was just a good job. You know, I, even New York, particularly New York City, hey, they've got a strong union. You can make 100 grand a year if you work some overtime. Um, it's a good job, good benefits, 20 years and you're out with a pension. It doesn't get better than that. So in those kind of environments, you end up with police officers who represent the broad spectrum of America. But when you start paying really poorly, as many of our police departments do, and when you lower the standards for entry, as many of our police departments have done because they're paying poorly, because, you know, Reaganism has just kneecapped the ability of towns and counties and, and uh, cities to, to have enough money to pay for municipal services like police and fire. As your standards and your pay drops, more and more the people who enthusiastically sign up to be police officers are not, it's no longer people who are looking for a good pay and a pension. It's now people who are looking for the ability to pull out their billy club or their gun and beat the crap out of or kill whoever they want, whenever they want. In other words, the authoritarians. So... This is, this is one of the reasons why I've been saying for years and years and years, with regard to the military, we need to bring back the draft. There needs to be a non-military option for conscientious objectors, for people who are not fans of, the, of you know, being part of the military, so that they can work in a hospital or a school or something like that. But everybody takes one year after, after high school and either goes into the military or does public service. It's a rite of passage, something that we have lost and are lacking in our culture. It would be a good thing psychologically and culturally for people. And with regard to our police, we need to start paying, uh, just like police and teachers, they, they, my old shtick, I've, I've, I've been saying this for decades. Our teachers hold our future in their hands. Our police hold the quality of life of our present in their hands. And we, and we dump on both of them. We don't, we don't pay teachers well, and we don't give them respect. And in most parts of the country, we don't play, pay cops well, and we don't give them respect. We don't hold them to high standards. And both of those things need to change. And, and as I said, our military. And until we look at these things, these, these systemic things, and say, you know, we, this is actually a threat to democracy, that our military is being filled up with people who are authoritarians, that our police departments are being filled up with people who are authoritarians, so that just laying the ground, seeding the ground, or fertilizing the ground, so that when an authoritarian leader like Donald Trump comes along, everybody's going to snap into line. 
We have seen this happen in country after country after country. And it would be a terrible, terrible thing if it happened here. We need to be awake to these possibilities. We'll be back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of the news of the day, your calls and my thoughts. All the above right after this. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Just to uh, add to that previous rant about our police and our law enforcement, uh, about our law enforcement and military, uh, there has been a concerted effort for decades on the part of the white supremacist movement to also infiltrate our military and to infiltrate our police departments. Uh, and, and fundamentalist Christians, I mean, they took over the Air Force Academy. Remember uh, Mikey uh, Weinstein wrote the book about that after his son got got uh, harassed as a Jew in the in the uh, uh, the Air Force Academy out in Colorado. I mean, it's just, it, this has happened, has been happening for many, many years. And these are these are natural aggregation points for authoritarian followers and, and, and natural places for authoritarian leaders to exploit. Donald Trump constantly calling out the police and saying how wonderful they are, for example. And it's just like, be aware, be awake. Howard in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. Hey, Howard, what's on your mind? <clears throat> I got to ask you an opinion. Uh, Trump's going to sign the, the bill after the first of the year, um, which means that the 4% on Medicare doesn't happen until 2019. Correct. Uh, also, if I recall, Trump said that the, the tax cuts start immediately at the beginning of 2019. 18. That's right. You get the you get the benefit. You get the sugar high in 2018, just in time for the November elections, and I then the pain that, comes in January 2019. Is for them to manipulate the the election in 2018 in favor of them. Of course, and then and then and then they get the pain in in January of 2019, and you've got a whole year and 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 you know 11 twelfths until the next election for people to forget that that's what happened, which, you know, memories are short, and the Republicans know this. What can we do, what can we do about that? <laughs> uh, raise holy hell, tell everybody you know, and, and show up at your local Democratic Party and take, take a leadership role in, in what's going on in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, Howard. That, that's my advice. You know, we, okay. need, we need to be participating in this stuff. Okay, Tom, and I, I would... Hope that you push that yourself. <laughs> I will. I will continue to. Howard, thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you, Scott in Canaan, Maine. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well. What's well up? Once again, I have to approach this from a common sense thing because I'm I'm not educated like you. But with this tax money that I'll be saving, which is a couple dollars a week, I guess I can afford a jar of Vaseline. So the next time they come, it won't hurt so bad. <laughs> And um, ouch! It's uh, I I needed to ask you about the uh, God. I was just listening to this other fellow, but I wanted to piggyback on the other earlier caller that was talking about shutting the government down. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that a lot of people, myself included, would be hurt by that, but it's going to end up happening anyways. I mean, the, in my opinion, the dollar is getting ready to fall. The only reason it's up where it's at is because we flooded the world with dollars and it's, it's due to crash. I think you're right when you were talking about it and in your other book, it just maybe get here a year late, but it's going to happen anyway. So why, why can't we just take the hit now and get it over with and have a people's revolt? And while we're doing that, why can't what would happen if we changed to a democracy instead of a corrupt representative republic like we are now under the guise of democracy? Yeah, if you're talking direct democracy, we're all the GOP's corrupted. I mean, it's all it's a mess. It's corrupted. The courts are corrupted. They're bought out by corporations. And I can't see any way out of this, to be honest with you. And well, there's a very simple way out of it, Scott, and that is to ban money in politics. And which well, which most of the develop, most of the countries of the developed world have already done. The barrier to that is the Supreme Court, which has said that money in politics is, is a guaranteed right under the First Amendment. So I, I doubt that any of the authors of the First Amendment would agree with that or, or most of them, I doubt, would agree with that. 
But that's what we've got. And so if we passed a constitutional amendment tomorrow saying that money is, political money is not free speech and corporations are not persons, then both Democrats and I would, I would submit to you a majority of Republicans would, would go back to the kind of legislation that was passed by a majority of Democrats and a majority of Republicans in 1973. In the ta- you know, at the tail end of the Nixon scandals, they passed all ki- some really, really radical and comprehensive campaign finance laws that made it illegal for anybody to give more than $2,400 to anybody running for political office or their campaign or anything else. And that was struck down in 1976 by the Supreme Court in a decision called Buckley versus Vallejo. Had that not been struck down, the whole phenomena of the Tea Party and the Koch network and these billionaires who own the, the Republican Party never could have happened. And we could reverse much of that because, you know, the, the Republican lawmakers that I got to know when I was in Washington, D.C., who, you know, and, the, and the few that would talk to me would never come on my show. Uh, the, but, the, but the Republicans that I got to know, just like the Democrats that I got to know, were equally horrified by the fact that as an elected official, they had to spend three, four, five hours a day on the telephone in a private office building begging for money every single day, five, six, seven days a week in some cases. They're horrified by it, Republicans and Democrats. So if we could overcome the Supreme Court through this constitutional amendment, then you're going to find both parties jumping on this. And then the, the, the whole tax scam stuff would go away. All this legislating for dollars, all, you know, the, pretty much everything that the Republicans are up to and some of the stuff that the Democrats have been doing has been pushed by special interest groups, by what, uh, what uh, James Madison referred to as factions in Federalist Number 10, groups that are more interested in their own benefit and, and willing to pursue that to the detriment of their nation. And, and we've got to get that under control. We've got to get that under control. And the only way to do that is to get money out of politics. And that means going to a national system where we are all subsidizing political dialogues, where we have some limits on, on politics and the press. Um, not, well, limits is the wrong word. But anyhow, there's, there's, there's so many steps that can be taken. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. It requires you, me, everybody. We have to get active and involved. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.